0: Next on ReachMD, Voices from American Medicine, featuring perspectives, challenges, and triumphs from physicians currently in practice in the front lines of healthcare. Now, here is the host of Voices from American Medicine, Gary Epstein. The statistics are staggering. One striking fact is that obese children have an 80% chance of staying obese throughout their entire lives. In Texas, where the childhood obesity rate is significantly higher than the already high national average, one physician left her general pediatric practice to help fight obesity. I'd like to welcome from the Texas Center for the Prevention and Treatment of Childhood Obesity, Dr. Kimberly Avila Edwards. Dr. Edwards, welcome to Voices from American Medicine.
1: Thank you so much, Gary. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Dr. Edwards, I'd love to get your background and and really kind of understand how you went from a general pediatric practice to a focus on uh, fighting this growing epidemic.
1: Well, back in 2002, I completed my pediatric residency. That was a time in pediatrics where new growth charts had just come out that had a new measure called body mass index or BMI that we were starting to track over time for our patients. Right as soon as I began my practice, general pediatric practice, the striking reality of the number of children who were overweight or obese or who were coming into my clinic because of complications from their weight was remarkable. And as a pediatrician who had just completed training at Baylor College of Medicine and done my medical school at Harvard, it was a disease that I felt completely unprepared to Tackle. I felt at a loss for how to counsel my patients as well as to treat some of the complications that I was seeing, including high blood pressure, high cholesterol, which in my mind were diseases that were reserved for adults. So I responded to a request from the Texas Pediatric Society, which is the state branch of the American Academy of Pediatrics, who was putting a workforce together on pediatric obesity for our state. And through my interaction with this workforce, which later became the Obesity Committee, I recognized that many of my colleagues were seeing and experiencing the same thing I was. And this led to my first effort, which was to put together a toolkit for physicians. This was back in 2004, to discuss how to diagnose, treat, and manage pediatric obesity within the general pediatric setting over the course of the next eight years, where this took me was I began to be asked to serve on various committees that were through the Texas Department of Agriculture or the Department of State Health Services or the Texas Education Agency, and they were committees that were, as a community and at a state level, trying to focus on pediatric obesity as well. Despite all my state advocacy on the issue, what I really struggled with was the fact that within my local community, the patients that I was seeing, I still had very few resources to provide to them. I didn't have the nutrition and physical activity expertise to guide them to how to bring about behavioral changes to improve their weight. If there were complications, I had to send them to various subspecialists. And it just highlighted a need for me that in our community, we needed a center just Specifically focused on obesity, so children could come to one place, get their com- complications addressed, as well as receive the behavioral counseling they needed.
0: So did you actually leave your general pediatric practice and begin this new?
1: I did, together with two partners, Dr. Jane Gray, a child psychologist here in town, as well as Stephen Pont, who is a fellow general pediatrician and obesity expert. I left my practice and they expanded theirs to create this center.
0: I'm just curious, you mentioned a toolkit for doctors. That was one of the initial things that you did. Is that something that is still available and something that you guys have expanded?
1: We have. Initially, we distributed about 15,000 copies throughout Texas that was in a hard-bound form. And it's now, it's been revised once, and it's available on the Texas Pediatric Society website. And it is currently undergoing a second edition.
0: That's great, because I think as you alluded to, and as I've begun to understand, doctors are, are not particularly informed on how to handle the behavioral side of this disease, often treating the ailments associated with obesity, but not necessarily working on the front end.
1: I think that's exactly correct. And I think as awareness has increased over the last nine or 10 years, I think physicians are doing a much better job about screening for it. I think we still can make improvements to that. But it it is a difficult situation to be in to find resources that will help counsel patients as well as finding the opportunity to do it within a clinical practice because many times obesity is not even recognized as a disease so it's hard to even have physicians have the opportunity to counsel the patients if they can't come in based on their insurance to be seen for that
0: You reference screening how in a general sense does a doctor go about that screening process
1: Well starting at age 2 the CDC growth charts have a graph for body mass index percentile so a physician should take height and weight and calculate body mass index, and then based on gender or age, see what percentile a child is at. If their body mass index is between the 85th and 95th percentile for age and gender, their child is considered overweight. Above the 95th percentile, they can child is classified as obese, and any child with a body mass index above the 99th percentile is considered severely or morbidly obese. Now, for children... Under two years of age, on growth charts, what you can look at is height versus weight and plot those two. And any child with a height for weight that's above the 95th percentile is considered overweight. And there is no diagnosis of obesity way to diagnose that for children under two currently.
0: Interesting. Do you find that often children who are obese are coming from a family where obesity is not uncommon?
1: Absolutely. There, there are many risk factors for a child to be overweight or obese. One is having one parent who's overweight or obese, even greater risk if both parents are. But then you also have things like socioeconomic status and race that are going to increase their risk for them being overweight and obese.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Voices from American Medicine on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Gary Epstein, and joining me today from Austin, Texas, is pediatrician, Dr. Kimberly Avila-Edwards. Dr. Edwards, is there a specific list of risk factors that our audience could find or go about finding, and how would they do that?
1: Risk factors in terms of individual risk? Well, as mentioned, socioeconomic status, race, family history of obesity are all going to be risk factors. When you look at general nutrition and behavioral habits, looking to see if you're meeting some of the prevention strategies that the American Academy recommends, such as not consuming five or more servings of fruits or vegetables, spending more than two hours if you're older than two in front of the television, having less than one hour of physical activity, drinking more than limited amounts of sugar-sweetened beverages, those are all gonna be risk factors for increasing weight status.
0: Do you find that the notion of changing behavior and dealing with or taking preventative measures requires you to not just treat your patient, the child, but the family as a whole, the parent?
1: Absolutely, I think children don't exist without their parents and so needing that support and the modeling from parents in terms of changing behaviors is so critical. Further than that, I would say that while the diagnosis and treatment of childhood obesity is so critical within clinic walls, that as a physician, I feel that it's not only families that need to be treated, but really the community as a whole, because it's such a complex and multifaceted problem. And so the solution has to be as equally complex and multifaceted. So you can't just focus on the child. You can't just focus on the family. You need to focus on the community to see if when you're advocating for behavior change, like increasing fruits and vegetables, the first question is, does that family have access? Do they live in an area of your city where there is not a grocery store? near you. And instead, their only options for buying food is going to be the local corner store. So it's a very complex disease.
0: Was there something in particular beyond what you've already said that inspired you to kind of find this area of pediatric medicine? Other than the epidemic itself that you were seeing, was there a mentor, a patient situation that really made you sort of say, I've got to dive in and solve this?
1: I think it came from my personal conviction that children are the future. They're the future of our nation. They're our future leaders. And when I see children, or when I saw children an increasing every day with high blood pressure and high cholesterol and increased pressure in their brains from their weight, I know we are risking their future lifespan, their future health, and the future health of our nation. As a whole, and without our children, without investing and keeping their health on the forefront through healthy weights, I just see a very dire situation.
0: And do you find that it is challenging to interact with the parent and convince them to actually take action, particularly if they're obese themselves?
1: There definitely has to be a certain level of motivation and readiness for a family to begin to consider some of the behavioral changes that are needed. But I think over time what I have seen is that that dialogue about weight is not as taboo. It's still very difficult, but it is not as taboo because there has been so much discussion about the epidemic that now empowering a patient or setting the expectation that weight or BMI is going to be discussed at every well child check has really broken down some of those barriers. And if a family does not have the motivation or readiness, utilizing interviewing techniques where you respect that decision but still inform and continue to come back to it and waiting until they're ready. And if you and a non-threatening way can dialogue with them enough, that will come. Then I think that really opens up the opportunity to make some of those behavioral
0: changes. And are you finding that the local community, the schools, the parks and recreation, local government helpful in getting involved and rallying behind this cause?
1: I do. And again, because children do not exist In isolation. It has been so complimentary to see that the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department has made children in nature playing outside, increasing their physical activity a priority. It's given me resources to be able to direct and support families in terms of behavioral changes. In Texas schools, having a nutrition policy that exceeds the recommendations nationally has been helpful. There is Always going to be improvement that can be made, but it really sustains the changes that I'm trying to make in clinic.
0: You know, I know with my own children that the family pediatrician can have a huge impact on how we handle situations with our kids, both in terms of their care, but also preventative care. If you could speak to our significant physician listening audience and tell them a little bit about the impact they can have, what would you have to say?
1: I would say that, you know, a cornerstone of pediatrics is prevention. And prevention is going to be critical for the disease of obesity as well. And I have advocated that there are few members of our community who have the impact and contact with children that is as great as that of healthcare professionals. And starting from the first visit with a family, if you can begin discussions about strategies to prevent obesity, such as breastfeeding from day one, delaying the introduction of solids, delaying the introduction of juice, delaying solids in diets, delaying television for children under two, each and every touch point can be utilized as an opportunity to educate and talk to families about how from day one, or even prenatally for some of our OB listeners, if those conversations can happen, there's going to be so much of a greater chance of that individual child having strategies in their lives that will prevent obesity from manifesting in that child
0: i'd like to thank my guest dr kimberly avila edwards a pediatrician who is a co-founding physician of the texas center for the prevention and treatment of childhood obesity working hard as she does to see if she and her institution can make some real strides in combating this insidious disease I'd also like to thank the Texas Medical Association for nominating Dr. Avila Edwards to be interviewed and invite our listeners to find out more about America's largest state medical association by visiting www.texmed.org. Dr. Avila Edwards, thanks again for being a guest on Voices from American Medicine. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Voices from American Medicine on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals featuring perspectives, challenges, and triumphs from physicians currently in practice on the front lines of healthcare. Voices from American Medicine is hosted by Gary Epstein.